from the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Young Evangelists. Host Leif Anderson, president of the NAE, talks with Nick Hall, founder and chief communicator of Pulse, a student-led prayer and evangelism movement. Let's join in. I'm Leif Anderson, president of NAE, here with Nick Hall. In his junior year of college, Nick wrote a paper about how to reach his generation with the gospel. That paper went viral and turned into a student-led movement of over a thousand students responding to the gospel. And then it spread out to other campuses, reaching more than 50,000 in just a couple of years. Nick has now shared the gospel at hundreds of events to millions of students and is regularly featured as a speaker for pastors' gatherings, training events, festivals around the world. He sits on several leadership teams, including the U.S. Lausanne Committee, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, Mission America Coalition, and the National Association of Evangelicals. So, Nick, welcome to today's conversation. Now, I just want to start out. We're going to learn a lot more about you, and I have all kinds of questions for you, but let's just start out by having you tell us what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. on July 16, 2016. Yeah, well, Lisa, it's so good to be here. And, uh, man, just love, uh, love your work and love the work of NAE. And we're so excited about what God's doing um, in, uh, in our nation right now and also just in the nations as uh, we just believe that God's on the move. And, and that's really what this summer is all about. As you said, uh, July 16th, it's a Saturday in the middle of summer, and, uh, and we have a, uh, what we believe is a, a once-in-a-generation gathering called Together. And um, it's really kind of short for Reset Together, and people can hop online to Reset2016.com. But the, uh, the heartbeat behind it is really uh, that we would see over a million people stand together for Jesus on the National Mall and this is really a, uh, a next-gen-led expression, uh, praying for a reset, um, praying that, that we would come back individually and collectively back to our first love. And so there's all kinds of streams and movements and leaders really rallying together for that day, uh, really to call the nation back to Jesus and to pray for a, uh, a generation-defining moment. And so we got people like Hillsong United and Lecrae and Robbie Zacharias and Francis Chan and others. Um, but more than anything, we're just really praying for a encounter with God right on the National Mall. Well, we're excited about this. Just in case anybody missed it, it's reset2016.com where you can get all the information. But at the National Association of Evangelicals, we are really encouraging people to come to commit, but also to pray. In fact, uh, we're calling people to prayer the Sunday before. That'll be the 10th of July. And if you and your church want to hook up to that, it's nae.net slash pray together. So the date is uh, the 16th of July. There ends the commercial, but it's a great commercial for a great gathering. Now, let's talk about you, and let's talk about young evangelists. It seems to me that there were more evangelists a generation ago than there are today. So are there many of you out there? You know, uh, that's a good question. I don't know if there'd be many who want to claim to be like me. Um, you know, uh, I don't know that I'm the cool kid, so um, I'm not sure if there'd be many that would want that, you know, reputation. But it is an interesting time. You know, as you said, it seems like a generation before maybe 
the word evangelist or being in that vocation was a more prominent uh, field. And, and I, I would say it's certainly true that fewer and fewer people seem to be grabbing onto that, um, you know, that vocation or mantle or whatever you want to call it. Um, there are a few people out there certainly that we know of, um, but we really feel like it's a, it's a church kind of a dynamic where the church has kind of stopped talking about the evangelist as a vocation. And so I believe that there's just as many evangelists as there are always was because um, God hasn't stopped calling these different offices and different, you know, people in the church. But I think that the church has maybe stopped making as much of an emphasis of that vocation, largely probably in reaction to some of the negative things that happened in previous generations, whether it be, you know, uh, prosperity or scandal or whatever else. But um, it seems to be, you know, not exactly the most popular word when you say evangelist today. Well, let's trace your journey. So you start out writing a college paper. I wonder when you were writing it if you ever imagined the impact that it would have. And then from that college paper to full-time evangelism in a worldwide ministry, how did this work? What's the trajectory here? Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think as in so many things, it's God calls and God enables and God opens doors. Uh, you know, for me, I was 19 years old, I was a freshman in college, and God really was rearranging my life around this calling towards evangelism and being an evangelist. And, and the only guy I knew of who was an evangelist was Billy Graham. And, uh, you know, when you talk to young people today, they don't know who Billy Graham is, you know, but for me, um, I knew that his uh, book was on my grandparents' coffee table, and I knew my parents used to have Billy Graham crusades on the television at home. And, uh, and so I read his biography cover to cover and started praying, and God really gave me this statement of my life exists uh, to put Christ at the pulse of a generation, hence where the word pulse came in was really from this statement. And, um, and so, as you said, I wrote this paper in my English class. Um, I was a junior when that happened, um, secular university back in North Dakota, and, uh, and really from there, God just began opening doors. I was traveling with the Billy Graham and the Luis Palau teams and really learning under uh, these individuals that had been my heroes, um, you know, traveling with the likes of, you know, Josh McDowell and getting to spend time with the leaders of Campus Crusade and, and even Robbie Zacharias and others. And, uh, and really through that experience was where I would say God was equipping me and, uh, and equipping what would become our team to be the foundation of what we called Pulse when we launched in the fall of uh, 2006. All right, so Pulse is also the name of um, the ministry, the organization that you lead. I've got that right. That's correct. Okay, so, so how did you get from uh, being the person who was following the veterans to the guy that was up front? I mean, did somebody say, you want to preach or did you step up in somebody's place? How did that actually happen? You know, it's, it's interesting. I remember driving down to Oklahoma City for a Billy Graham crusade back in 2003 and probably like a lot of young people who feel the burden and fire, you know, and passion for ministry. I was, you know, over eager and probably had an overinflated sense of uh, entitlement or confidence of, you know, I, I literally remember driving, you know, from Fargo down to Oklahoma City and just imagining several realistic scenarios in my head where Dr. Graham wouldn't be able to preach and they would ask me to, to fill in his place. 
and uh, you know, obviously, you know, I'm 21 years old, 22 years old at the time. I mean, this couldn't have been a more unrealistic scenario. I was a, you know, nobody, you know, in that organization. Um, but really, I mean, it was just honestly just years of shadowing, years of service, years of carrying bags, years of setting up the field at these events, uh, just going around, traveling with the men and women that made up these teams. And uh, over the course of several years, really getting to know them, really asking questions, trying to understand the different dynamics of crusades or festivals or just really anywhere that the gospel is being shared, it was my passion to learn how they were doing it, why they did it that way, what was working, what wasn't working, and then how did that relate to my generation. And so, you know, somewhere in the midst of that flurry of travel and phone calls and emails and just conversation, uh, I think people just started to see this uh, passion and calling and sincerity in my heart. And, uh, you know, I'm just a kid from North Dakota. And so, you know, there's not a lot maybe that's like impressive or like out there, you know, on the surface. But I think there is just a sincerity and a work ethic. And, uh, and so over time, you know, they just started to give me opportunities to, to speak at different events, to train young people. Um, I remember the first time the grand team had me come out to Winnipeg and uh, speak at a training and the guy, you know, he kind of jokingly said to me, he said, you know, we put you out here in the country um, because there's not a lot of risk. <laughs> and he was, you know, he was being uh, honest about it, you know, because it, 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 anytime you're giving somebody an opportunity, obviously you're risking your reputation on someone else. And I think just one door led to the next. And, uh, you know, pretty soon I'm emceeing their festivals and speaking at events, you know, alongside, and then Pulse is growing into this national and global ministry that it is today. I'm sure the people from Winnipeg consider that to be the epicenter of Canada, but we'll just let that go. And let me ask you, what what's it like now? So where do you go? How do you do evangelism? Uh, what, what, what are events like? Yeah, so I mean, really what we've done, we would say uh, in, in the same way we read the history of evangelism and the evangelist in the history of America and really going back to the early church of just seeing, you know, uh, people coming together. Uh, we see the evangelist as really a rallying force to call the church towards the mission that we have. And it's for equipping the saints and it's for sharing the gospel. And so in the same way, you know, you would see a, a Whitfield or a Wes the Wesley Brothers or, you know, a D.L. Moody or a Billy Sunday, or, you know, Billy Graham. And you see just kind of each of these generations taking on a similar expression of the gospel, but doing it in a way that makes sense for their generation. Uh, we would say in the same way our team at Pulse has learned under, you know, the Graham and the Plow organizations and taken a lot of their principles and process of uniting the church and trying to equip and rally and then putting on these outreach events. And, and I would say, you know, what's different between our events and maybe a, a, a Billy Graham or a Luis Palau event is, is probably just a lot of, uh, you know, just semantics of, of how it's done. It's the technology. It's maybe the language and messaging of it. Um, but we would like to think that it's very much the same thing just done in the expression and language of a new generation. Um, I found some early material of Youth for Christ that, you know, Billy Graham and Tory Johnson, a number of these guys were doing back in the, you know, late 30s and early 1940s, and they had a slogan of geared to the times and anchored to the rock, you know, because I think what they were doing was kind of controversial, you know, going into these theaters in the city and, and having extra or different things, and then later on it was, 
you know, having a youth night uh, with bands. And, and so I think for Pulse events, I mean, we're really trying to use media. We're trying to use culture to communicate the message of the gospel. Uh, we do a lot more events. We're a part of about 200 events a year. And so, um, you know, but it's all folded into this process of, you know, it's prayer and unity, building towards a season of training and equipping, moving towards kind of a, a climactic experience, which we call the Pulse event. And, uh, and then those would typically take place in an arena or a large setting. And then that would move into an intentional season of uh, discipleship, which, again, for us, is it's all partnership geared. And so everything is working in through and for the church, but then we're really coming alongside local expressions of student ministry as well as local expressions of discipleship and follow-up. And so work really closely with ministries like Campus Crusade or Chi Alpha or Young Life and then even, you know, groups like Alpha, um, Campus Alpha, and then uh, just different, you know, small groups and discipleship kind of mechanisms on the back half. Well, let's get a little more analytical here in talking about spirituality among young adults. So if you read news stories, and especially some of the Pew Research and other polls, you kind of get the impression that uh, young adults have abandoned the church and Christianity. And yet there are scholars like Rodney Stark who argues that this generation, not just in the United States, but around the world, uh, yeah, may be less favorable toward religious institutions, but actually is more interested in spirituality. So it's kind of a conflicting message. How, how do you describe the spirituality, the spiritual interest of young adults in America now? Yeah, I think we really think of it as they're anti-institution, but they're pro-relationship. You know, or in another way, you could say it's anti institutional church and pro-Jesus. And so it's just this interesting dynamic that exists. And you see this manifesting itself in all sorts of corners. You know, you think about how even the movement in our cities to buy local, eat local, you know, support rural, support whatever, you know, like we're, we're not behind the Walmarts as much as we are behind the, you know, the little shop on the corner, right? And And, and obviously it's just kind of like, these are just kind of, uh, you know, human nature things, I think, that exist that are in some ways silly, but I also think it's a, it's a personality trait of a millennial generation where there is just we, we're longing for something that's real and authentic, something that's not manufactured, and something that's just going to have a real change impact. And so, you know, I see the statistics all the time, and I would agree with them, like this is an unchurched and biblically illiterate generation, you know, and so if we're trying to come at them through the same ways that we've always done, there's going to be problems and there's going to be a disconnect. Now, on the flip side, as you said, you know, Stark's research there, that this is really a spiritual generation, right? So it's not that they are um, anti-God, anti-religion altogether, um, but it's just that they want to encounter God. They want to know something that's real and is going to make a difference, right? And so if you're to think of the cause nature of this generation wanting to rally behind fighting human trafficking or, or ending global poverty or whatever, and then you're to combine that with the radical call of Jesus, there's something very compelling there. And we would argue that there is a, a depth of hunger and an opportunity for impact that probably hasn't existed in some generations, but is there right now. And, uh, and so it's just, it's, it takes a different approach. But definitely these kids are hungry, they're open, they're asking spiritual questions. You know, I read a recent statistic that said that 60% of college kids are regularly having spiritual discussions with their roommates. 
Um, the problem is most of the time we're not at the table. You know, most of the time a church or somebody who has any kind of biblical knowledge isn't there. And so, you know, we're relying on all kinds of interesting sources as our as our compass. And yet uh, there really is an opportunity. And I think that's where we see with our Pulse events and with the things mm-hmm. that we're doing, even building towards together this summer, that there really is a uh, an avalanche effect of uh, just hunger and m- momentum and just longing that really you just start to touch on it and it just becomes something that can be catalytic very quickly. My guess is that older generations, those older than millennials, so we're talking Gen X and boomers, that are committed Christians, are they're excited about this. They absolutely would like everything that you have just said, whether they get it or not. Uh, so what, what advice do you have for an older generation that took a different approach for understanding what needs to be done now and understanding the generation, understanding actually what you're doing? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think it really is for all of us. Um, one of the things that we're super passionate about is trying to have uh, what we consider multi-generational partnership. And so I think anytime you're having partnership happen, there needs to be a posture of learning, right? And I think that's especially true when you're trying to have generations unite. Um, there needs to be a posture of we all have something to learn from each other. And and I think for older leaders and the established church and people who probably have more, um, you know, everything, experience, respect, resources, whatever, I definitely think there's a posture of wanting to be available to learn from and to pour into, you know, a younger generation. And I think that there is a real hunger for mentoring and there's a real hungry, hunger for wisdom um, you know, but there's also a real hunger for, man, I want an opportunity to, you know, take the reins or to speak or whatever. Um, you know, when churches ask us, what can we do to be more engaged with young people? I mean, typically there's kind of two things that, that we'll really encourage across the board. One is really just facilitating a culture of prayer and just spiritual expectancy, because I think that's one thing that regardless of your worship style, regardless whether you're contemporary or whether you're traditional, whether you're you know, whatever. I mean, if there's a culture of prayer and a culture of expectancy, that transcends generations, you know, and, and that, that you see that really taking off across the board with, with younger people where they want to just gather, they want to pray, uh, they want to be a part of seeking God, they want to be a part of hearing how we're waiting on God and expecting God to move. And so that, that really is a backbone, I would say, of so many of the, what I would consider successful movements. There are there are movements that are just a little bit more, um you know, a flash, you know, but I would say the ones that have the substance that are lasting and growing, I mean, there really is a spiritual fervency there that um, where that scene in the church, I think you'll see that be like a magnetic draw for a younger generation. And then the second thing is really just having a, a culture of uh, really welcome and hospitality and embrace. Um, I see churches all the time that are, you know, by all definition, not relevant programming but young people flock there because they are embraced. Um, you know, when a young person shows up, they're taken out to eat. They are, you know, put in a position where they're being asked questions. They're respected. Their voice is wanted. You know, it's not just a machine where if you happen to be here, great. It's, no, you are an active, vital part of this family, this community. And so I think just any way that those two things can start to seep their way into the culture, um, you're going to start to see you know, really a change and just a welcoming atmosphere for 
younger people, younger families, younger leaders to want to be a part of a community. Well, that is, that is really helpful, and especially in terms of understanding that which transcends generations, and respect and relationship clearly comes through. Are there distinctives? So when you're up front speaking, are there things you say or a style that is distinctive to reaching a generation of people that are in their 20s and early 30s? Yeah, I think I think just the generalizations that exist, you know, if you're to think of this kind of um, the conversation just in general of anytime we talk about someone who doesn't have faith or somebody who votes different or looks different or is different, you know, which, you know, if there's issues that we would say just in, in, in scripture, you know, things that we would describe as, you know, there's things that are clearly like this is uh, following God. And then there's things that are kind of like, maybe there's things that are gray and then there's things that just aren't gray. You know, it's like just kind of, this is clearly not, not God's best for your life. Um, I think there really is a, a hyper, what I would say, a hypersensitivity among the younger the audience is, the more sensitive they are to the way that we're talking about issues and people, right? And, and, and that relates to whether it relates to um, different views on marriage, whether that relates to different views on religion, whether that relates to different views on, you know, whatever. But there very much is a grace and this idea of like, we love everyone, we want to embrace everyone. Um, what does it look like to speak the truth in love? You know, what does it look like to not come from a position of condemnation? Um, I think that's something that the antenna is just so up, you know, and I think where, you know, you think of the political correctness that people get annoyed with, um, you know, a lot of times in older generations, I think younger generation doesn't even see it, right? They don't even think of it as being politically correct. They just think of it as being kind, you know, they think of it as being sensitive, and, uh, and so that's something that I would say that for me, in the way that I'll talk, or even in the way that I'll hear things, that kind of set off an alarm when I hear uh, a ministry leader talking about somebody who votes a different way than they do, or somebody who has a different belief than they do. It's not so much what you say, but it's how you say it. And, uh, and I think in all of these situations, trying to say things in a way that I could say this about my best friend with them in the room, and it wouldn't be abrasive to them, you know, because this is a human who I love, who I care about. Um, you know, that's really a huge thing. Uh, I think there's other just church words. Um, we, we really use, I mean, obviously with this together thing and this reset, you know, we really talk a lot about a reset. And we really talk a lot about, you know, we try to find terms that have understanding for people regardless of where they're at spiritually and so instead of me talking about, you know, needing a revival, which I'll talk about that, or instead of me talking about, you know, just the sin and the brokenness and the fallenness of man or the depravity, you know, I'll talk a lot about just guilt and I'll talk a lot about just regret and I'll talk a lot about this need for a second chance. And then I'll use that as a parallel with, uh, with the technology concept like reset where I'll say, you know, we hit reset when something doesn't work right. We hit reset when we know we've downloaded the wrong files we hit reset, you know, when, when the system is slow and we know it should be working better. And then we talk about that in life, how that relates to life. You know, we have regret. We go the wrong way. We do the wrong things. Uh, let's not, I don't need to get into the details of what the exact things are, but I think there is that, that common 
understanding of, okay, yeah, I've messed up. And then just meeting there of saying, you know, we believe that there is a reset and that that's so much of what Jesus came for was to offer us this supernatural reset life as it was meant to be lived, right? That he came and showed us a better way and then he offered his life for that so that we could have life and find life through him. And so those are some of the things that I think I would just encourage people to think about and be sensitive about. It's not just the specific terms, although obviously those are important and those are good examples, but it's it's the style. It's that I, I you know, I think in terms of someone who goes to another country or another culture, if they're gonna communicate about Jesus in a different place, they need to uh, speak to the style and then the terminology of, of those that they're going to reach. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about evangelism and, and discipleship. It, at least it seems to me that in an earlier generation there was a lot of talk about evangelism and it switched to discipleship. So I often hear churches, uh, pastors that say relatively little about evangelism and talk a lot about discipleship. One of the concerns there being that the idea is that you're going to be discipled to the point that you evangelize, but uh, the fear is that you'll never actually get far enough in discipleship to get around to evangelism. So what's the relationship between them? Yeah, you know, I think it's a it's a dynamic deal, and uh, and I think there's a pendulum. You know, in the same way, I think you see the American people or peoples anywhere in the world react. Right, you see this happen all the time in a church where they'll have a, an expositional teacher, and then they'll move to more of a, a teacher who's a little bit more, you know, just theme based. And they're like, oh no, we need to get back to the word, you know. And and I think it's in the church, you know, you see, oh, it's you know, it's events. We need more events. And it's like, oh no, no, we don't need events. And oh, we need evangelism. And it's oh no, 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 we need more discipleship. And I, and I think the posture for us, you know, those of us that are in faith and those of us that are in leadership, especially needs to just be a posture of yes. You know, it needs to be a posture of, well, do we need evangelism or do we need discipleship? Yes. You know, do we need events or do we need small groups? Yes. I think there is, um, you know, because you can build a case for these things in Scripture, and I think the more that we try to pit one against the other, we're actually not presenting a biblical model of ministry. I mean, for me, evangelism is discipleship, and discipleship is evangelism. Like, you can't remove one from the other. I can't follow Jesus without sharing Jesus, and I can't share Jesus without encouraging someone to follow Jesus. And so it's not, you know, I think they have to find a way to coexist and link arms and work together. Now, in a local church, there's going to be people who are passionate for both. I think what we see a lot right now is we see a lot of people who are really passionate about discipleship. Um, you know, we see a lot of people who that's really kind of the bell that they'll ring. Um, and, and it can almost come at the detriment of, oh, you know, it's too much about evangelism. And I saw that and I grew up where it was tracks everywhere and yet nobody was discipled. And so, again, I think I think we start to get off on this, this versus that mentality as opposed to this both and. I, I believe that when God gave these different offices to the church, that he gives it so that we can work in tandem with each other uh, so that, you know, the body can be equipped for every good work. And so I think there's something about that when the evangelist or those with the passion for evangelism, those with the gifting in evangelism, are working properly in the context of the church, that they're constantly pushing the church, are we reaching the lost? Are we reaching our community? What are we doing to reach out? And then simultaneously the church is saying, are we discipling? Are we growing? Are we maturing? 
And I think that is a tension that we need to have in every church, in every expression. Otherwise, we, we, we have what, what seems so common of either a church is a mile wide and an inch deep, right, or the vice versa, right? It's a, a mile deep and an inch wide, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, we say we have all this depth in discipleship, but nobody's sharing their faith, or we're all sharing our faith and we have no depth. And, and so I think there is, you know, a little bit of, and, and I think that's where I, I would say we have really experienced just some strength and growth has been in seeing ministries align and groups come together under this shared desire. Man, we want to see Jesus lifted up. We want to see people know him. And you guys have a passion for this part, and we have a passion for that part. But man, if we come together, how much stronger can we be? And I think collaboration is the name of the game. It's the name of the game in the local church. It's the name of the game amongst churches and amongst ministries. And if we're going to see this generation reached, we need all the parts of the body working together. So it's all about collaboration and, and synergy and, and not competition. Well, before we finish, I, I just want to go back to uh, July 16th in Washington and uh, tell us one more time uh, what's going to happen there. But especially, do people just show up or do they have to sign up? Or, or you know, how do they go about coming and what do they need to know? Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, that Sunday before July 10th, and really just want to encourage people in that. Churches across the nation are going to be praying on that uh, Sunday, July 10th, and praying for the nation and praying for this gathering. And so, you know, just that nae.net uh, backslash pray together. But really that whole week is going to be, uh, churches are treating this as a the mission trip for our nation. So churches are coming from across America. There's service projects happening every day throughout the greater DC area. There's going to be events happening each night. People like Josh McDowell and uh, Greg Steer and a number of other leaders are going to be doing different events each night, training and equipping. And the IF team who leads this big prayer gathering out of Austin, they're going to have a, a dinner for women to come and just pray that Friday. And then that Saturday, really, it's kind of like all roads lead to Saturday, July 16th. And you can think of it as we're coming together uh, in answer to what is the command and really the outcome of so much of what we see in Scripture when times are dire. You know, and I've been saying this, you know, when, when things are hard, when things are broken, there's really one solution that we get in God's Word, and it's call the people together and come back to your first love. And we really believe that there's something that happens when God's people unite and when the only agenda is just to seek him. If this isn't an agenda of trying to fix this person or that person or fix this or that, but no, it says, God, we're coming. We're rending our hearts and not our garments. God, we're coming under the banner of your son, believing that he's the leader we need. And so Saturday, July 16th, ministries and movements and denominations are coming together. We're going to stand together on the National Mall. It's a free event. Uh, you, don't, you don't need to register. You don't need to sign up. There's no ticket, um, but people can hop online. We have a Facebook page where we've been just trying to track. You know, we certainly encourage people to get a hotel room, and there's buses that they can rent on our website that we're working with the same group that did the Pope's visit and did, you know, the Final Four. Um, but on that day, there's going to be a convergence of voices lifting up Jesus. And so I already mentioned some of the musicians, you know, everything from Casting Crowns and Hillsong United and Carrie Job and Lecrae and Kirk Franklin and Michael W. Smith 
and then communicators, you know, Ravi Zacharias and Francis Chan and Sammy Rodriguez and a number of others, even even Pope Francis is, you know, recording a video kind of homily that will be shown on the mall. And so there's there's some really big historic things happening. But what we're encouraging people is you just need to come. We need to come and seek God together. And we're believing that as we come with expectation to meet with God, that he will meet with us. And we're praying that our nation will be changed as a result. And so that's what it is together, Reset2016.com. And uh, it just won't be the same without you there. Reset2016.com. And it's July 16, 2016. Our guest on today's conversation has been Nick Hall, the founder of Pulse. And I'm Leith Anderson. And on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Nick. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.